Hey everybody, it's Michael from MichaelAngeloCaruso.com, also a YouTube channel that's getting pretty good traction these days. I'm going to be interviewing a guy by the name of Gerald Valley today, and look, there he is, everybody. Hi, Gerald. Hey, how are you, Michael? Thanks for having me. Gerald, you are a fascinating character, and I mean that with all respect, man. You are a one-of-a-kind person, and I'm so uh, charmed and enamored with you. You've you're a hero for a generation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but I wanted to um, spend some time talking about your background, how you came up. You really started overcoming adversity at a really early age, and I think it, it's probably strengthened your character in all kinds of ways. Can we start at the beginning so that people really understand you and where you've come from? And, and as a little precursor to this, everybody, you're looking at Gerald Valley, he's got an international reputation in the skateboard industry. He, I call him the skateboard king. <laughs> this guy pulls up at, at events, and uh, it's like the Beatles, you know, he can't get out of his car because everybody's pressing up against it to get autographs and speak with him and, and um, get some time with him. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the program today and, and sharing some of your mojo with us. Well, thanks again for having me. You know, we... We haven't been friends too long, but I feel very similar to uh, what, how you presented me. I feel very th that way about you as well, you know, uh, getting to know you a little better. And uh, I'm looking forward to everything to come in the future. But thanks for having me on the air today and talk about my story a little bit and what's going on. My pleasure. Um, so let's go back to the beginning, man. You were born. I was born. There's a guy in town named Sean Blanchard in Detroit. He's got the best book title ever. He says, Born a Crack Baby, I think is the name of it. Yeah, it's right here. How about that for a crack baby? That's the title of it. Because Catchy it's, title. Yeah. And he talks about, he uses that as kind of a platform for his motivational talks, which is, you know, you can come from behind. If I came from behind, uh, I think... Uh, Who's the talk show host that took over for John Stewart? He talks about his book is called Born a Crime, hmm. which I haven't read. But this idea of just coming out of the womb flawed or in trouble or digging out of a hole already behind the eight ball. There's all kinds of analogies for this. What was your story, man? You, you had some bad news really early on. In fact, you, have a, you had a, a series of bad news. Yeah, you know, and, and to be honest, I did, I've never really thought about it much my whole life until people started asking about my story. And, and then I really thought about it. You know, I was born four pounds, and that's very little, very little, very premature. Yeah, and I was born about eight, eight pounds, right? Right. So I'm about half size, and I'm fluorescent orange, and... Uh, my granny came up from down south and they had me strapped down in an incubator with lead packs on my eyes. And she said, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and she thought I was a chicken. <laughs> and, uh, what's a blood pack? What are you talking about? Oh, lead packs over my eyes so the uh, heat lamps wouldn't burn out my retinas. Oh. They had a, like a blindfold over my eyes and me strapped down. And... Um, so I must have been a real sight, and I wish, I wish we had a picture of that one to show, but uh, I don't think one exists. And then they said my legs were wrong, and I guess my feet were facing each other because of the way I was lying in the womb, and my femurs were deformed. And so 
they had to put me in these leg braces. It's called a Gatlin splint. And I had to wear these shoes that had a metal bar uh, attaching my feet, trying to straighten them out for the first two years of my life. Um, okay, hold on a second. Femur is the uh, bone. There's two bones that come down beneath the, the, uh, the knee. One is called the tibia and one's called the femur, or is the femur above the kneecap? The femur is the big bone above your kneecap. Okay. And the heads of my femurs weren't round. They were shaped like footballs. And they still are. They're, they're misshapen, so they didn't fit in the joint properly. So they put you in these, uh, these leg braces, and they're called what, Gatlin? A Gatlin splint, yes. I Googled this up when we first met. Uh, the Gatlin splint, there aren't many photographs of it, possibly because it's, it's a torture device, ladies and gentlemen. Look, does not look comfortable. And you wore them for two years. Yep, for two years, a very archaic looking device. And, um, and then following that, I was in correctional shoes. Um, but my mom, you know, I, she never treated me any different. So I, like I said, to open this segment, I didn't know I was any different. I thought that's just what you go through when you're coming up as a little kid. And nobody treated me any different. To be honest, when she took off the Gatlin splint, she said I had to almost learn how to walk again because I could motor around the house with that brace on my legs. When she took it off, I was having trouble getting in and out of places and doing things. You went from this uh, misfortunate, this unfortunate beginning to becoming a world-class athlete. So what happens between the time you start to figure out you're different, special, aren't we all? And, and you start to figure out, you know, some sort of a stripe or thread that's going to become the next uh, 35 years of your life, the skateboard industry, what happened? Well, to uh, preface that, I actually went from almost from correctional shoes into hockey skates because I started playing ice hockey at four and immediately into goalie equipment. I became a goaltender at five and I, that was my very first love. I, I was really, I loved being in an ice rink and, and I took it to a, quite a high level. I was drafted into the North American Junior Hockey League when I was 14 and got to play hockey all over this country, Sweden, Norway, Finland. I had a very, very fun and exciting hockey career before I even stepped on a skateboard. Amazing. So, and we see this a lot, good athletes, you know, they're able to, to move between sports uh, easier than say a rookie might be able to adapt to one sport. Um, did you choose goalie as a default because skating was problematic? You'd never be a champion skater? Not at all. I actually, it was an accident and I fell in love with it. Okay. They, they asked uh, for somebody to play goalie in the father-son game and nobody wanted to do it. They couldn't find a goalie. Heck, they might have threatened me and said, you have to play goalie because I was a little kid. I was a very, very little kid growing up and I never looked back. I never played another position my whole career and I, I loved it. I enjoyed being a goaltender. That's how I got to play bass. Nobody wanted the damn thing. <laughs> right. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. uh, and I might have been threatened as well. Okay, so you have this, uh, this hockey interlude, um, and you get really good at it, and you learn it, and you become perhaps a, a competitive. You, you understand how competition works. But hockey is a team sport, right? Five people on the ice at, at, at any given time. Yes, but the goaltender is considered a little crazy and wacky, and he stands by himself. So it is a team sport, but I'm a little bit of a guy on an island most of the time. Okay. And then something happens that gets your attention with skateboarding. Was there an epiphany or a seminal moment, or it just kind of crept into your lifestyle? 
uh, a childhood friend had moved to Florida. He came home to visit for the summer, brought this big wide skateboard with him and I rode it and it, we had a great time. And I asked my dad to get me a, a one and he went to Dunham's or something and bought me a cheap board. I wore that board out. He bought me another cheap board and I wore that one out. And the guys I was playing hockey with were from uh, a little bit of a nicer side of town and they already were into the, the more expensive skateboards. And I started buying them used off of them. 35 bucks, I could buy used skateboards. And I, I'd never, I never was without my board from about 11, 11 years old. I mean, hockey trips. I was out skating parking lots and we were in hotels. When I went to Sweden, I'm, I brought my skateboard with me to Sweden and I was skateboarding. And it was always a hand-in-hand kind of thing. So I mean, your, uh, your coach is crazy because you could get hurt on the skateboard and then you wouldn't be able to play hockey. I'm sure that conversation came up. My dad, uh, every time. Stay off that skateboard. You're going to ruin your NHL career. <laughs> so come to find out you're better at skateboarding or like it better. Why did you leave hockey? I fell out of love for it. At about, at about 20, um, 20 and a half, you have to quit playing junior hockey. And I had been in an ice rink for seven days a week since I was about 12 years old. And it just wasn't fun anymore. And I told my dad I didn't want to play anymore. And it, he was pretty devastated. Um, but you made skateboarding your own. And then you started to see that this was more than just a, a hobby for a street kid. What, what happened that, that grew it in scope? You know, what allowed it to, to just morph into this bigger thing where now you're recognized in various countries? Well, we were having a good time. There was a very core group of people in Michigan, and we just loved skating. We'd go out. There's one skateboard park in Kalamazoo that we'd skate in the winter, the, only, the oldest indoor park in North America today. And we would be out there. Well, Vans Shoes, a very big shoe company, started what's called the Warp Tour, which originally was a showcase for amateur skateboarders. And they went to every state in the union, and they had an amateur contest. Whoever won that contest got a plane ticket to California to skate against the 49 other winners from every state in the union. And, um, and it was the best amateur skateboarder in the world. Well, I won it in 1997 and 1998 to get to go out to California and compete. And my second time, I wasn't so nervous and freaking out because I had never been on that kind of a stage. And I placed very high, got national exposure. And by the time I got back to Michigan, I had sponsors already because I was getting some recognition. By the time I got back, they said, we think your name carries enough weight. We'd like to turn you pro. Wow. And what does pro mean? You get paid or you get opportunities? What? Yeah, they, they basically asked me what I want on my skateboard. And I'm a huge Frankenstein fan. I have a tattoo of them right there. And uh, I said, I want Frankenstein in the Stanley Cup. And they drew up this great graphic that is an old monster movie poster with my name and Frankenstein. And in the full moon is the silhouette of the Stanley Cup. Because in my mind, that was my Stanley Cup. That was my cup. Yeah. And when you're pro, you get to enter pro events. The purse money is bigger. You get a cut from every board that sells with your name on it. There were some bearings with my name on it and different products. And you basically get to travel around the country and have a great time and not have to pay for anything and just do what you love doing. I didn't make a lot of money, but I had a lot of fun. Okay, we're going to come back to the money thing in a minute because uh, money's important in, in this lifetime. Um, 
I'm enchanted by this idea of, of you making more of yourself than just being a neighborhood kid on a skateboard. You know how many kids are doing this, you know, and I mean, back to the music thing, a garage band, right? Thousands of garage bands in the country. And we did some things that no garage band ever does. Like very few garage bands ever do. We didn't get signed. We weren't even close to the top of the triangle. But I feel you, you know, this idea of, of realizing this could be bigger than I ever thought it could be. I wonder how far I can take it. That is a really nice feeling. And a lot of young people have it. Very few older people have it. We get, I guess we get tired of experimenting or we don't believe in ourselves or we have too many responsibilities. We give up on our dream job. And you didn't. And bravo. Um, what else happened that allowed you to see yourself in a different way besides the idea of, of getting the offer to go pro? Well, I went out to California and I lived out there for a while and I realized it was a little different. I didn't understand the business end of things. So I came back to Michigan and, you know, you hear the term, the big fish in the little pond. It was sort of like that, but it was a little bigger than that because we started touring, uh, the, the Midwest, all the way from New York down to Mississippi and touring a lot and, and having a great time again. And uh, you, we bring up money the whole time. I was working a full-time job and, and scheduling my vacation time around pro contests. So on the weekends, I'm going out signing autographs, being a rock star and coming back home and punching a clock on Monday morning. But it was what I wanted to do and I knew I enjoyed it and I loved it. And that's why I think I turned pro because people can see that passion and fun. And I still have that same fun as I did when I was 11 years old when I started. Yeah, I love it. This whole idea of marrying your, your vocation to your avocation, right? You're nine to five with your hobby and your passion. There's a lot of people don't work at their passion. Mm -hmm. so get those two to, to work together. Uh, sometimes we're called weekend warriors or stuff like that. It doesn't matter. You're getting close to nirvana when you can have both of those things uh uh in in play or in lockstep with each other i'm a little bit older than you are a lot of uh i don't know legitimate business people initially look down on the skateboard industry as if to say you know that's not really an industry there's no real money in it but something tilted like in the year 2000 ish um where everything became big business it's when uh I remember Sean White uh, and took snowboarding to new heights, right? He was like the celebrity that made snowboarding a thing. Snowboarding then became an Olympic event. Skateboarding is about to become an Olympic event. Did you tell me this year? Yep. Tw well, 2020. Yeah. So now we got all these kids training, just like they, you know, tennis pros train, getting ready for it. That, that's going to mean more copycats or more young protégés buying skateboards getting it ready, watching YouTube videos, buying the t-shirts, attending conferences. It's going to really take off now, huh? Yeah, it's, it's really blowing up. Uh, you know, the accessibility is so much different than when I was coming up. We would hear about a ramp and we'd drive 30 miles looking over fences, trying to find this backyard ramp. And now, especially here in southeastern Michigan, you know, I live about 20 minutes south of Detroit. And we are getting skate parks popping up everywhere. And the talent level is incredible. I watched a 12-year-old over the weekend uh, spinning 540, a time and a half in the air and coming down in a 10-foot deep empty swimming pool without batting an eye. And that is incredible to me. 
So I'm just going to guess 540 is the number of degrees that he spins? Yes, yes. You said it's a time and a half, so it's 360. And then another half. Yeah, 540, wow. And he's four foot up in the air in a 10-foot deep empty swimming pool. Wow. And he's 12 years old. 12. And just incredible, the accessibility and that childlike uh, fearlessness is taking skateboarding to a whole new level in the Olympics uh, are really going to showcase that. Not to mention a 13-year-old girl just won the biggest female contest of the year, and she is from Japan. So this is international. This is global. Wow. Uh, you know, there's some skateboarders here in the neighborhood, but they don't look like much. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Well, my point is that that, that it is a thing, and uh, some people will call it counterculture or subculture or niche culture. Uh, just understand, everybody, we're talking probably about a billion-dollar industry, maybe more. Mm -hmm. You're going to start adding up Japan and, and some of these other countries. So what's interesting to me about you, Gerald, is you're still not done reinventing yourself. You came into my airspace a while back because somebody suggested that you and I should know each other. And it was our friend Steve Ollis down in Southgate, Michigan. And I think the initial idea, or soon after the initial idea, was what if you were a better spokesperson for the industry or for your involvement in the industry, and then therefore being perceived as a better role model? Could you help more kids? Could you build more skate parks? Could you stay closer to your passion longer? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is this kind of how we came to know each other? Definitely, definitely. I'll tell you a, a little bit of a bigger story how we got there. I quit competing in 2007 and I thought, what do I do now to stay in this industry? And I decided to write a book and I wrote a book called Voluntary Self-Achievement. And it was geared towards the 11 to 17 year olds because that's who I resonated with. And it was about goal setting. These stories we're talking about here my childhood and different things. And then I said, okay, what do I do next? How can I inspire more people? How can I reach more people? I started a podcast from my couch. I come up from the DIY kind of punk rock uh, model. So do it yourself. Don't wait for everybody else to do it. So I started a podcast from my couch and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? I want to start speaking. So I started speaking to middle schools where I resonated with these kids and I'm a, a, a little bit older than them, but I come walking in with my Dickies t-shirt, hat, tattoos, and the teachers are like, oh, this guy's talking to our kids. And by the end, those teachers are asking me out to, can you come have dinner at my house and talk more? And so we're, I was breaking down some stereotypes throughout that time and it just kept growing. And Mr. Alice, yes, he, he I met him at a, a rotary event actually, and I was telling him a little bit about what I do and he brought up your name immediately and we had a conversation and uh, here we are. Well, you're unlike anybody I've ever worked with uh, because I get a lot of business, you know, but not business people wanting to, uh, you know, improve their presentations. But I was, like I said, excited to, to know more about you and how, because I came up to kind of that performance industry too. You can call it skateboarding, whatever you want. It's, we're all performing. I think, I had a couple of brothers in the band and they said to me, you know, I, would, I just love to play. I would play whenever I could. And I always challenge them. I said, yeah, you want to play with some people in the room. You know, because if you just want to play whenever you can, you'd be practicing alone all the time. It wouldn't matter a whip whether anybody ever heard you. 
Right. And I think that skateboarding as an industry would die if there were never any crowds or anybody to show off to. I think we're all kind of looking for some attention here, yeah? Yes, definitely. You know, and, and when, well, when I went to California, I had the mentality of your brother. And, and I think I would have had a little bit of a different uh, trajectory if I went out there with the mentality I got a few years later. I went out there and I just wanted to skateboard. And these guys are like, no, we can't skate till four. That's when the filmer gets here. And I said, no, I'm going to ride right now. I don't care what you guys do. But it was a business, and I didn't understand that. Today, I get it a little more. I still love to go out and ride with my friends. Yeah. But I also love to go out and ride when there's a big crowd and people are taking pictures. And I, I, I understand that now a little more. I think the, the best combination is a mix, of course, right? Some of my most rewarding time as a speaker is sitting alone at a computer watching game what they call in sports game films like i'm watching myself present and i'm listening to the audience laughs often when they're supposed to sometimes not and i'm making notes to myself and i'm and i'm, I'm really drilling down or i'm studying somebody else in their presentation by myself it's really hard for me to do that if other people are in the room i find that very rewarding but honestly i wouldn't i wouldn't continue speaking if i never had a chance to be in front of an audience I've got a radio interview coming up and it's, I don't like them because there's only, I'm only talking to one guy, you know, and I'm a, I'm a big crowd guy. So back to you and, and you reinventing yourself. I love this idea that you're understanding that being a better communicator will create many, many more avenues for you. Uh, role model, mentor, uh, perhaps another sponsorship tour money so that you can become, how about keynote speeches where you're getting compensated, people paying your expenses and a fee for you to leave uh, your vocation during the week, maybe leave on Friday and uh, buying you a plane ticket, taking care of your hotel, right? All because they recognize that you've been there, done that, you're a role model to kids. I love that, man. Well, and that's my goal. That is my goal. And, and, you know, uh, us working together in the present like the pro program, uh, I believe it is my best opportunity to get to that goal. And that's why I, I took the online course because already out of the gate, I've learned a ton and it's made me a, a better communicator in life, not just in front of a crowd, but in life. And the opportunities just start rolling in. I mean, I, I, I was asked to speak at a press conference this Sunday for the Ann Arbor Skate Park, and it's their five-year anniversary, and they're texting me saying, you know what, we saw you on camera, will you speak at our press conference? Nice. I, I have a hunt, you could not convince me any different that being in the Present Like a Pro program helped me get to that point. And I'm a very animated person, I love talking, I love communicating, but be able, being able to get my ideas across a little better, same idea, same everything, I just need a little little poke here and a, a prod there to, to get a little better at it, so I thank you for that. Well, you're a pleasure, you've been a role model student. One of the things that we're going to work now on in, the, in your last um, uh, weeks in the program is this idea of brand extension. It's how becoming a better speaker actually improves your blog. It improves your podcast, which is going great guns. Um, developing other channels like a YouTube channel. A lot of people I think are missing the boat when they do the podcast. It's just audible, right? Of course, people can listen, 
But like you say, you're a very animated person. Why don't we have more video of you doing your thing? I'm recording this session in two formats, audio and video. The audio is going to go to my podcast. The video is going to go to my YouTube channel. So it's, we used to live in a world where you had to choose one. You play football or you play baseball. But now we live in a world you can be skateboarder and you can play hockey. And you don't have to do audio or video. You can do audio and video. And you don't have to just be a presenter. You could be a presenter and a, and a blogger. You see? Because on your blog, or sorry, podcast, on your podcast, you can get sponsorships. If you get enough following, people will pay money to be attached to your podcast. And now your brand is just like you're just putting layer in layer like an onion. And that's how you make bank. And, uh, and, and you've still got the fire, and I admire that about you. Well, it's, it, I enjoy life, every minute of it. And I'm passionate about everything I do. And I think that carries a lot of weight, no matter what you're doing in your life. And I will give you a great example. I volunteered at the TEDx Detroit in November. Just because I eventually want to speak there, I wanted to understand what it was. And I handed out one business card one business card. They have like a trade show kind of thing. And there was a podcasting company. And I said, you know, I enjoyed doing my podcast. I'll give these guys a card and talk to them. Well, when you're in the right place at the right time or things work out, that one business card turned into a 26 episode contract with a company called New Radio Media. And I currently just did uh, recorded episode 10 Thursday, we'll be doing episode 11, and it is a streamcast. So people get to watch me in studio with my guest, and it is just about living passionately, your path to get to where you're at, and, and it, it has been such a blessing and so much fun for me because the guests are all over the map. Hollywood stuntmen, Emmy award-winning TV guys, pro skateboarders, young entrepreneurs from the local, just any story to inspire the viewer to say, hey, I can do that. I need to get off my couch and make life happen. And so I think when you live with passion, that opens a lot of doors for you. Yeah, I think you're onto something. You know, podcasts are like the new talk show. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, they, they got the same shtick that they've been doing all this time, the fake microphone on the desk, they're wearing ties. None of, the, none of these guys wore neckties before they had this gig. They're sitting at a desk to casually interview people. They're always sitting six inches above the guest. I mean, it's a formula that is as old as the hills, and it's, I guess it works okay for them. But you know who's really knocking down the numbers? Joe Rogan on his podcast, right? Um, Tim Ferriss. Ferriss is killing it. Yep. Uh, there's a guy from... Um, Gary Vee. Gary Vee is doing well. Gary Vee. But I'm thinking of a guy, I think he was in Public Image Limited. His name's jo Johnny Lydon. No, it's not Lydon. Or, or Lydon may have one. It's called Jonesy's Jukebox. Oh, Steve Jones, the guitarist for the Sex Pistols. Is he overweight guy, big guy now? Yep. Oh, he's huge. Yeah. I don't remember being that big. And he may be addled. I don't know. He's just, it's just an interesting little show. And he gets the killer guests on there. And he's knocking down the numbers. And he's getting paid. You know, people are sponsoring the show. So we live in a different age now. And I think we have to choose our lanes carefully. And we have to get smart about maybe taking some direction from somebody who's a little bit further down the trail. And along the way, we ourselves become that person that will blaze the trail for somebody else. And I think that's what life is all about. 
your latest project is involved uh, is involving the uh, installation of a skate park in Downriver, Detroit. You want to talk about it? Yeah. Um, I actually broke my leg June 20th of last year, the first cast I ever had, believe it or not. And I had to stay mentally busy. And so I did over the summer. The Tony Hawk Foundation I happened to come across was giving out 20 quarter million dollar grants, uh, quarter million dollar matching grants to Southeastern Michigan and Western New York along with the Ralph C. Wilson Foundation. And I heard about this, so I reached out to the Hawk Foundation. A gentleman named Trevor Staples came and sat on my porch and said, why not meets the demographic, or meets the financial uh, demographic for that. And I started putting things in place and talking. I went to the city of Wyandotte and spoke at the city council meeting. And they already knew who I was, and I stood up, sort of made fun of my little knee scooter because I still had the broken leg. Then I met with the recreation committee and they said, yes, we'll give you the land. And I started asking people reaching out. We met all summer long, or all winter long. And on, in March, we were granted the quarter million dollar matching grant from the Hawk Foundation. And now we have been fundraising and doing some very interesting things to raise money and community awareness of how much a benefit. It's not just a place for skateboarders to go. There's camaraderie, there's at-risk youth benefits, there's kids with autism who are just going crazy and skating great and it's making their quality of life better. There's so many benefits to having a safe, fun place to skateboard and we're gonna make it happen. We have one year to raise the funds, one year to build and the momentum just keeps on growing. Well, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. If you're watching today, I hope you're getting inspired by Gerald Bally. So if you wanna find him online, everybody, he's got a trick spelling to his name. Uh, his, in fact, his name is a 540. D-A-R-O-L-D, <laughs> correct? Yes, sir. And D-A-L-L-I-E is his last name. Tell us where they can, we can find you on your podcast, your website. Yep. On uh, social media, I go by my real name, just Gerald Valley on Facebook or Instagram. And then I'm known as the Life Maverick. So if you go to lifemaverick.com, you can see more about my story, a link to the podcast, a links to, you can book me to speak if you want me to come speak at your school or keynote or uh, there's a lot of information on that website that can take you everywhere in the world of, of Gerald. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you're a gift to uh, mankind, womankind. You're certainly a gift to the skateboard world. And uh, I'm so proud to know you, man. It's a pleasure having you uh, in the Present Like a Pro program. And I'm sure our friendship's going to extend way, way beyond that. Thank you for being with me today, Gerald. Thanks for having me, Michael. And I feel the same way, man. I, I, I see a lifelong friend and I'm, I'm honored and, and super stoked uh, to call you a friend. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.